Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Good afternoon, good evening. This is George Spaulding with you today for Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant Practitioner Radio. I'm Executive VP here at Pink. With me today, as always, is Troy Dumoulin. Troy is uh, the smart guy of the two of us, and that's important to note. Uh, Troy and I have been doing things together for far, far too long, and uh, we like to joke around a little bit and say that I am the sizzle and Troy is the steak. Now, of course, George, because we've been doing it for so long, I think uh, you've taught me how to be a bit better than the sizzle, and uh, you have certainly steaky. I'm getting more steaky all the time, yeah. That's what, my, that's what my wife tells me anyway. You should cut back a little on that steak, big boy, is what the concept is, yeah. Oh, me too, me too. Yeah. So our topic today is something that is a, something we've been beating around about in, uh, at Pink Elephant for quite a while called the IT Factory. And Troy has written extensively on this. You've done some blog articles, haven't you, Troy, on the IT Factory? Yeah, and in other places we've called it an IT operating model. Uh, but it's the premise that, you know, we are in the business of producing outcomes. That's the whole concept of service management. But that o- outcomes comes from the perspective of someone's got a bright idea that we have to, to put through the factory and something comes out the other end, right? So... The, the factory is it's actually not a bad analogy here. Sometimes, sometimes, though, people think of us as the project factory, and there's more to IT than, than build. There's actual run, and that's one of the challenges we've got to talk about today. But the factory itself actually sometimes has a negative connotation. I was actually surprised. Um, George, we were talking about Steve Bell and Mike Orson, the, um, the authors of Lean IT, and... I got a chance to work with Steve on his second book called Run, Grow, Transform, and I kept wanting to use the term IT factory. He says, no, 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 no. IT people don't like the word factory because it makes them feel like a manufacturing and they think they're special and somehow different than a factory. I think we're, I think most, I think network people are just really plumbers. I mean, you know, we we even use the words. Uh, we use the words big pipe. You know, hey, I got a lot of bandwidth. I'm, I got a big pipe. Right? I mean, in a way, we're just plumbers, really. But no, but, but the, the, the premise is we're, we're craftsmen, we're artisans, we, we want to make and create, right? A factory, that, that seems too mundane. Okay. All right. Of course, that's my sarcasm speaking here, right? I won't let on. I won't let on then. So one of the things that, that you have talked about in, in this IT factory conversation, and you're gonna, you have a couple of uh, visuals that you're going to include in the, in the notes, right? That's right. They'll be on the blog. Uh, so you know, we'll have those as part of our show notes. Okay. So, and that's important because uh, the visuals really do help me as I, as I look through them as well. But the, the thing that, that resonates with me is the, the concepts that you brought up, which were if the, if the product or in our case services are highly standardized and just normal, normal stuff, what we do every day, the day to day operation and services that we provide in the world of IT, then that would be 
just normal, like made to stock stuff. In other words, it would be things that we want to inventory, things that are going to go on the shelves because we know they're going to sell, we know they're going to move, we know they're going to do it. And also the specifications are done. We're, we're set. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to create. Piece of cake, right? So, yeah, you know, that's a make to stock is a concept that is a manufacturing term that uh, we've borrowed to apply to services as well. So to kind of walk this model through, the first one you've introduced is the concept of I am producing widgets. And every time I produce this widgets, because of the fact that it's a commoditized offering, uh, there's a high risk relative to this. We need a high set of standards around it, standardization of the offer. And it makes it much more robust, much faster to actually support because it's standardized across my environment. Uh, and it allows me to be in compliance in a much easier way. So this whole principle of make to stock has a lot of value prop, if you will, on the efficiency concept. Maybe not so much on the effectiveness if we have different requirements, but on the efficiency side, we've got great game. But there are different levels to this. But it's a lot cheaper, right? In other words, it should be cheaper because I don't. I get to do all the economies of scale. I get to do all the things that you would do if you were ramping up to make a thousand widgets, or ten thousand widgets, or a hundred thousand widgets, right? Yes. I get them. So it should be quite efficient. It should be quite cheap. It's a commodity. Uh, it might be a commodity, which means, interestingly, I might be able to get it somewhere else. So that's something else you have to look at. It should be relatively low risk, I would hope. So in this context, there are certain services where it doesn't make any sense to have a custom or a tailored approach. These things are the kind of ubiquitous services that all organizations have equal access to, and really, it doesn't give you a strategic advantage. In fact, this is actually one of the arguments for you know externalizing and outsourcing services that we've been discussing in the think tank. And I'm quite excited that we're going to actually see that one of the first papers come out of that Pink Think Tank discussion we had at Pink 14, where there's a real trend, it's called the squeeze, <laughs> where we have this, this trend where if the service that is being offered is not strategic in the sense it differentiates me, it's actually a higher risk to have a custom or tailored view of that than it is to have uh, a standard one. For example, what's the strategic advantage of, of having your building your own WAN? for example, versus, you know, going to uh, a telco to get that done. Uh, what's the strategic advantage of having a network? Everyone has the same basic network components where they all use the same basic suppliers to develop them and to produce them. Uh, what's the strategic advantage of even have enterprise applications that are not unique to the organization's business process? whether that's CRM or it's enterprise resource planning applications or messaging. You know, George, is there any differentiating aspect to that? Well, the interesting thing is what you're bringing up is the same stuff Nick Carr brought up almost 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah, does IT matter? IT doesn't matter. Uh, and what he was really saying was there are certain elements in IT, a lot of them, infrastructure, networks, things like that, that are basically commodities. And that that it's no longer a strategic advantage to have a network or whatever, but rather it's a risk to not have it. So therefore it becomes a utility. It just is what, as you went through there, I, I, was, I was hearing my plumbing analogy coming back to me, you know. Very much so. Very, so that, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a bigger risk to not have it or to not have multiple suppliers so that one could uh, therefore um, have multiple internet providers multiple providers of electricity, multiple things like that, 
All of those things would be. Yeah, you may choose to have some resilience redundancy built in, so you might have more than one internet provider, depending on you know, what you're doing. But the reality is you're going to standardize as much as possible on those things which are not strategic. These are make to stock. You want the widgets to come off the assembly line pretty much the same way, or when you buy it from your supplier, you expect it to be the same way. So there are services that you really want to move to this make-to-stock concept because it doesn't make any other sense. So on the whole other end of the spectrum, the absolute complete other end of the spectrum, there's, we don't have anything. In other words, it's just a blank sheet of paper. I'm going to sit down with you and we're going to talk through what it is you want, what it is you'd like, and we're going to have a completely tailored solution. We're going to write this baby from scratch. It's going to take a goodly while to do it, and it's going to cost a lot of money, and you're going to get exactly what you want. Yeah, this is engineered to order. So this is, it's never existed before. It's this brilliant idea that no one's had. So we're going to create this strategic differentiator that's going to give us the ability to move ahead in market share and profitability. So this is something that's unique to this business organization's mission, and it's not available to anyone else right now. So it really makes a lot of sense to make that from scratch and to keep it proprietary as long as humanly, organizationally possible. Well, you invested heavily in it. So not only is your investment you know, going to be paid off if you keep it proprietary, but it's going to actually be a strategic advantage. There's going to be something different about your organization as a result of this thing, whatever it might be. But that is very short-lived because anything you currently have is easily backward-engineered now, right? Reverse-engineered. In fact, the, the timeline for how long you can actually count on it being strategic and differentiating is, is very much shorter than it used to be. Like take um, the Sabre systems, American Airlines, right? I believe that's correct. So you know, American Airlines came out with this online booking system that was unique to them. And wow, they kind of mopped the industry up with the fact that they could do all this online. In fact, you know, not only did they use it internally, but they initially began to license it to their competitors, uh, maybe keeping some of the secret sauce to themselves. But eventually, everyone now has an online booking system. So what was initially an engineer-to-order offering no longer makes sense. In fact, you probably want to externalize that now and, and make that a make-to-stock widget that you basically just plug into your model. It's no longer strategic. Okay, so that's we. Un, I understand, and I'm I'm a simple guy, so I understand the two ends of that. So what what's in the middle? There has to be some middle ground between completely standardized and totally uh, rigid, and completely a uh, blank sheet of paper. We'll make it up as we go along. What's in the middle? One of the concepts uh, that kind of one up from engineer to order is that we're going to create some standardization around this service for a period of time. But that's kind of a limited period of time. You know, it's, it's kind of like I'm going to do a batch or a project. Or you know, maybe a good analogy is we've got the FIFA games going on right now, right? World Cup. Yeah, World Cup. There's, there's an organization, an IT function right now, basically serving the World Cup. and But that World Cup is going to be a, <laughs> a one-time period of you know organization. Maybe there's a residual part of the IT function that now exists that will move to the next World Cup. But largely, we stand this thing up. We stand these services up right now. We might even create specific services for just World Cup. In fact, I know Twitter is creating specific services for how to tweet and, you know, love your flag, et cetera, et cetera. 
But why, after the World Cup, what will be the purpose of these services that were uniquely built for this contingency? Probably nothing. Right. So we might be able to repurpose some of that. But the reality is, for a period of time, it makes sense to deliver it. And after that time is gone, that service is no longer required. And so I, I park it and I put it away. It could be uh, for a specific marketing campaign, uh, which is a specific longevity. It could be for a specific event. Uh, we know that business. And for the event, it is there. But after the event, it goes away. So this is kind of make-to-order in a batch concept. Okay, so Troy, uh, one of the analogies that I use often when I talk about services and the, trying to define services and is the concept of a bill of services, which like a bill of materials uh, in a factory setting. So a bill of services and the bill of services that the one, the example I use is the onboarding service. And I, I kind of use an example where I build the onboarding service from a bunch of little teeny tiny services. Um, in other words, there's a little teeny tiny service called get a new phone, another tiny service called get a new PC, another tiny Tiny service, get a network drop, get an email account, get a this, get a this, get a this, get a this, get a chair, get a cube, get a desk. You know, all of these are really little individual, what I refer to as, as building block services that end up as a, as a deliverable, saleable, if you will, service to the, to the business community. So what phase is that? Okay, so you've, you've said a couple of different things, actually. So the, in one context, the bill of service or basically is the concept of what are all the building components for the overall offer. Now, that can be looked at as, okay, here's a service, and I have, this is the direct component of service, and there are supporting indirect services. So to basically provide enterprise resource planning or CRM as a service, I'm also, and that also has its component parts and pieces resources, applications, hardware, data, etc. Uh, it's going to also be dependent, though, on a system of services where I have network and hosting and storage as indirect. So there's that concept of a bill of service or service architecture. Uh, but there's also the concept of a bundled offer where I create a combination of various existing services. So here's my menu. Right, and I've gone. I'm going to pull together features of my menu to create a special Father's Day offer. It's a limited time offer, and in that case, I've actually done a bundling of existing services into a kind of a macro bill of services, which is a fixed menu item that only exists for a specific period of time. That's back to that make-to-order perspective. Now, in both cases, every one of these services has a product a consumable, a unit of service. And I might even have options within that unit of service. And now I'm talking about the service unit and or product, and that's the get a something. All right, so there are multiple parts of that conversation. But to do that, I might actually then go one level further and not simply offer you a standard fixed menu, but I might offer you a fixed menu with options, is that where you're going with that question? Yeah, I mean, I, I think okay. what you're, what I'm, what I'm talking about is something like maybe the, you know, I've I've bought a few Dell laptops over the years. Okay, yeah, right. And I've gone to the Dell website and I've sat there and I've gone through with great painstakingly building myself 
a laptop from their choices, right? I didn't get to invent the choices. I got to pick. Do you want two gigs of RAM or four gigs of RAM? Do you want this processor or that processor, right? So how does that fall into this? Okay, so what that is referred to in the manufacturing world is called assemble to order. So I'm going to assemble based on predefined and, and most importantly, predetermined component parts. You just can't build your bear out of anything you wish for. There are standard offers, but you can up or down, you know, change or modify that standard offer based on optional configuration units. But those optional configuration units are still within a restricted list, which have been predetermined and pre-sized. You just can't add some vendor's product that's not related at all, right, and or isn't available on the menu. So this is called assemble to order. Now, even the Dell example you just provided actually had a history to kind of look at. When you first saw the Dell website, it was exactly the way you described it. It was a geek's paradise. And you and I being geeks, George, you know, we loved it. We would go there and we would build our bear from scratch. We would basically pick a chassis. Uh, we would pick our CPU. We would choose between Intel or AMD. We'd pick our speed. We then would configure uh, how much memory we wanted. We'd pick our hard drive. In fact, we'd pick from multiple uh, different brands of hard drive. Literally, we would create this PC in our own image, just laptop in our own image, right? Yeah. Now... That was great for the folks like you and I who could who knew how to do this. But what sense did that make for Mary Jane, who is a mom, you know, and basically needs a computer for her kid to go to school? Does she have the, the knowledge to basically build that custom-built thing? Probably not. No. So Dell figured, wait a minute, we've got to change our business model here. And they went after something that ITIL calls uh, predictable user types, okay, or user patterns. And so they said, okay, what kind of consumers do we have out there? What kind of things do they typically buy or want? And let's pre-configure standard offers based on these consumer types. So you come back to this website now 10 years later, and you see the family PC. And it's got all the wonderful family and stuff. And you're going to see, you know, the... Um, the card making software and the and the anniversary tracker and all of that wonderful you're stuff. You're way clicheing this, there, Troy. <laughs> then, then, then you're going to see the you're going to see the business PC and it's a professional quote unquote stuff. And you've got this business uh, suite of applications. Then you're going to see the gamer PC, <laughs> and it's going to be extreme that, extreme this, right? Now, each of these is predefined based on these patterns. But you can go in and then modify those up and down based on these predefined options. So this is that balancing point between the make to stock and the engineer to order. This is the middle ground. Cars, car dealers and car makers have been doing this for, for decades. Uh, yeah. I mean, they put together value. You know, you could get any option, but they put together value packages that were all the basic options anyone would normally want. I mean, that's, that's, this is not a new concept. No, not at all. It might be new in our world of IT, but it's not a new concept, period. Well, the first thing in IT we've had to figure out is that we're not just selling resources and, you know, and assets. You know, the analogy here is you're at a wonderful dinner with your wife, Mary Kay, and you're sitting down at the uh, table and the, the waiter comes up and behind him, he's tugging the refrigerator. Well, traditional IT is that he flings the refrigerator open and says, George, Mary Kay, what would you like me to build you today and cook you for dinner? Right. And basically you point to a few things and he makes you something. 
versus before I open my restaurant, I predefine what my entrees are going to be, what my appetizers are going to be, what my desserts are going to be. And then I even create special fixed, you know, limited time offers based on special times of the year, the anniversary or Valentine's offer. That's that car scenario that you're bringing to the table, right? Because once I've got services, now I can actually create bundled offers, which are uniquely focused on special types of uh, consumer types and events, which create more compelling offers, et cetera, et cetera. I make more money, right? And <laughs> I sell more stuff. It all begins with, I'm not in working with ingredients. I'm creating offers and services. So it's something other than engineer to order. So Troy, when we were talking before we started recording here, you, you talked about another visual that you've got that basically talks about the IT factory almost as the project factory. And that, I, I had trouble understanding that one. So can you explain that one a bit? Yeah, so one of the challenges we have in our world today of IT is that we talk about plan, build, run, or in idle terminology, strategy, design, transition, operation. In both cases, by the way, I would prefer to put the word demand on the front end of that. Because in a lean principle, uh, we should only be kind of working on in the factory and offering in our restaurant only the stuff which our market wants to consume. Because if we create stuff that no one wants to eat, we're not going to do very well at basically attracting new clientele. And the clientele that come won't be very happy with what we got. So there's this premise that we basically have to be uh, understand from the market that we're serving whether that's an outside market or it's an inside market of a service economy from a business ecosystem, what are the kind of things that the consumer wants? And so we've got to listen. So this is called the storefront. Listening to the market makes sense in any business right we're having. And basically, think about a service owner as an internal entrepreneur, <laughs> <laughs> because if the entrepreneur doesn't get his service right, he's not going to have a happy clientele and consumer base. So that service owner slash entrepreneur has to listen. Uh, there's there's the strategic consumer where I'm actually sitting down with you know the organization I'm serving on a regular basis, knowing where they want to go and, and figuring out what kind of new initiatives are coming down the pipe, strategic business objectives that are happening, and understanding how do I attune my service model and my portfolio to that. That's that's the strategic business relationship management demand portfolio conversation. But there's another piece to this, which is I'm actually I've got my my online menu up there running, and now I start to track and analyze where my consumer patterns are happening. Well, listen, I got these services; they're being ordered all the time. No one's buying those services, so perhaps it would make sense to augment those ones and diminish those, or even retire these. So. Strategic consumption analysis is part of this what's the market want discussion. That's my service catalog entry point. And then the, the bottom is I got people at my counter saying, this stuff sucks, right? Or I really like that. That <laughs> happens less often, right? So I got to listen to the consumer. My complaint management process is also an input to the storefront. You follow me here, George? But is the consumer, is it really the, that the consumer is, quote, complaining as opposed to the buying pattern. In other words, if you just look at the buying pattern, the thing they're buying all the time must be the one they're liking. And the thing that they don't buy 
must be the ones that they don't like. I mean, there are there, obviously there's market research to be done as to why you don't like it and why you're not buying it and those kinds of things. Uh, but the, to me, it would just be the buying pattern and the usage pattern that would actually tell us which which ones they like and which ones they don't. Well, that that is in part the truth. But the reality is, what if that consumer has no other option? They have to basically buy because they have nowhere else to go, though that's becoming rarer these days. Basically, you're on the aircraft carrier in the chow line. You get, you get one option. Uh, you may not like it, but you get it. So when I'm in corporate America and I have one IT shop, I'm, I'm in the I'm in the aircraft carrier chow line. That's the deal. Right, but uh, you can you can you can fly someone in a <laughs> helicopter in some lobster bisque. <laughs> oh God, that's funny, Troy. All right, keep keep going. Okay, but now you've got all this incoming intake. I call these the three doors of demand, right? Strategic, tactical, and operational. Uh, now you basically got to come in with a strategy generation perspective. Okay, of all this stuff, what am I going to work on? I can only, I only have so much capacity in my factory, my build group, my development shop, my project function. So I got to make sure that I'm only working on the right things in the right sequence in the right order. Because if I start working on the wrong thing, and I'm, I'm never satisfying anybody. So this project portfolio annual process of funding has to be directed by the strategic service portfolio conversation, which is looking at all this intake of demand, where the the direction and the marching orders are coming from the outside market, not IT deciding what's best for business, right? So that's key. But that generates, that kickstarts the, what in essence is the conveyor belt. So I start my project, <laughs> and I get this thing going. Now, this project is going to keep moving down the literal conveyor belt towards the end goal, which is I'm actually going to produce a product which is going to go into my uh, warehouse to ship and to deliver. But there's a couple of things along the way that has to be checked out. There's this design review aspect, because I have to think of not just the feature function of the project, but I've also got to think about the non-functional requirements. Cybersecurity is a big issue now with all of the data uh, you know, issues we're having and data loss. So I've got to do my security review, my architecture review. I've got to think about it from my performance and capacity perspective. I've got to think about it from my supplier integration strategy. So I've got to have these so-called service management, service design processes, basically giving uh, feedback into the project value chain. Because without that, I'm not building the project warranty and non-functional requirements into it. So but when it actually hits the you know, inventory now of existing and saleable things, goods and services, I'm missing something. So there's this aspect of the service design comments, basic concepts being part of the driving force on this conveyor belt of the project as being planned, built. And now test to move to production before I can say it's ready for prime time. I've got to be able to orchestrate the fact that it meets according to design spec. So I'm going to validate that. Uh, it meets the consumer expectation, which is the business evaluation or the initial market conversation we were having. I'm going to be able to orchestrate this move to production and don't take down the house of courage, which I call productions right now. So I've got to be able to schedule and orchestrate into production. So I've got to have these things that allow me to basically put something on a shelf that then I can basically deliver. And when it's on the shelf, ready to deliver, ready to sell, sometimes I simply got to send out the delivery guys to get it there. That's the onboarding conversation you had with me a few minutes ago, George. But then there's also the, the trucks I've got to send out when things break, the repair guys. And we hope that it's a Maytag repair guy. You don't see them very often, but that's not our reality. And that's the other side of this. That's the delivery component of this factory. 
And what you just described very well, Troy, by the way, is this more of the made-to-order side of things or engineered-to-order even? Actually, think about it. This factory can produce anything in that context. Sometimes the factory is producing a widget. Sometimes it's a custom order to build project for a specific business unit consumer. We just have to know going in, what's it going to be? What's its intention? I have a great analogy here. I've been, I've been using this a lot recently and it's really resonating with people. Let's equate, we're going to go from factory to, to ge- geographic and historical <laughs> context here. Let's assume that we're in this federated empire. Okay, think of the Roman Empire for a minute. Before the days of the evil emperor, do you remember how Rome was governed? It's not a trick question. No, I don't. Well, let me give you the answer. The answer is that it was governed by a senate. And the senate had a representative from each of these varying provinces and or aka business units and functions. And the senate got together and realized that each of these business units slash provinces in this empire had unique skills, unique things that they delivered, unique cultural, unique art forms, unique uh, whatever. Because, you know, France at that point was very different than Italy. Those aren't the older terms, but the ones that we know today. But there were some things that the Senate had to agree on. Some things had to be consistent across the empire. So the Senate decided we're going to have a Roman road. And the Roman road is going to extend all the way from Jerusalem to Britannia. And it's going to be consistently structured, built the exact same way, which these Roman roads exist today, by the way. So some services simply have to be Roman roads. They are the make-to-stock, the things which span consistently across the empire. Some services can be the engineer-to-order, which means it only exists within that province. But the Senate has to decide which services, whether they're the WAN, they're the messaging service, the enterprise resource planning, right? Which are the Roman roads? Today, unfortunately, what we've got going on is we'll have uh, different parts of the organization and they'll have five different instances of SAP or worse, they'll have Oracle, SAP and J.D. Edwards all in three different provinces versus one Roman road called one constant ERP system. But you follow me where I'm going with this? No, I'm liking this analogy, actually. Think about this, this whole conversation we've been having. The governance of this federation, this organization, which is federally connected, has to determine which parts of the service model will be made to stock and declare that is true across the scope of the empire, whatever that is. Those are my Roman roads. But that governance also can decide which services specific to business differentiation and strategic analogy we've been discussing can also be engineered to order. But I can tell you one thing, George. If all of the services of the Roman Empire had been engineered to order, they would have not conquered the world. I agree completely. And we're going to let that be the final words, Troy. So, and what's our, by the way, aren't we, uh, aren't we looking forward to doing another session, Practitioner Radio, very soon? And what's the topic on that one, Troy? In the premise of these concepts of value streams and build run, you know, de- demand plan, build run, another key part of that is our processes and our services have to be not just existing, but fit for use, fit for purpose. And this is where lean comes in. And I'm a big advocator for lean principles, meaning it's not enough just to do something. You have to make sure you're doing it the right way. So we're next week, we're actually going to get together with one of my friends called Mike Orzen, who is actually one of the authors of the Lean IT book, which is actually a Shingo Prize winner. We're going to talk about gaining 
business buy-in, senior leadership buy-in to lean strategies and lean optimization and proven opportunities. Great. Looking forward to it, Troy. As always, it's been a pleasure. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. 